Hello, listeners. My name is Darla Sharp, and I'd like to welcome you to the Reality of Christ Radio. This is lesson number seven, and it is titled Mount Moriah, Practical Application, and Repentance. Okay? And the first thing I want to talk to you today about right off the bat is Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah in Hebrew um, is pronounced Har Moriah. Mori means teacher, and Yah is a poetic form of the word Yahweh, or the name Yahweh, which is God's Hebrew name. Okay, so Har Moriah means the mountain where Yahweh will be our teacher, which is interesting, because it's on the north peak of Mount Moriah, where Abraham prepared an altar of unhewn stone, and bound Isaac to the wood of the sacrifice, and it was there that God substituted a lamb with its head entangled in a crown of thorns, okay, which was symbolic of something that would happen over a thousand years later. It was a rehearsal of what would happen over a thousand years later on that same mountain, okay? So when Moses first received the laws on Mount Sinai, now this is Mount Sinai, not Mount Moriah, Moses received the laws on Mount Sinai, okay? And Israel was instructed to never sacrifice the Passover lamb within their own city gates. They were to go up to a place where God would literally put his name. And that's where they were to go and sacrifice the Passover lamb. And that's where they were to also keep the rehearsals, the festivals of the Lord that um, he instructed them to participate in, okay? So uh, Mount Moriah was that mountain where God had put his name. And I'm going to explain that in this episode also. Okay, so then more than a 500 years later, uh, King David saw Mount Moriah by divine revelation. And he set out to take it from the Jebusites who were squatting on the land. And he knew that this was a land that God had promised to the children of Abraham. So David conquered the Jebusites and the the Jebusite city, and he renamed it Er David, which we would call the city of David, and it's all which is also known as ancient Jerusalem. Okay. He then purchased the mountaintop, which was Mount Moriah or Har Moriah, where he would um, then build the temple and institute the temple services. Okay. The temple service liturgy was developed by three prophets, okay? It was developed by King David, Nathan, and Asaph. Those three men were prophets of God. They saw by divine revelation that the temple services were uh, was a picture shadow um, or a shadow picture or what, what I call a rehearsal show in, in these episodes. I've been calling them rehearsals because that's what the Israelites were doing. They actually rehearsed everything out over and over and over again because Christ was going to come in and he was going to fulfill all those rehearsals. Okay. He was going to be the fulfillment of those rehearsals. Okay. So the temple service, these three men saw by divine revelation um, that, it, that the temple service was a shadow picture of the coming Messiah. Uh, who was going? Who was would be King David's descendant, who would literally be the fulfillment of the Passover sacrifice? Okay, they saw that by divine revelation. So when the M Messiah came, um, on the donkey, and rode up to the Temple Mount, that was five hundred years later from the time of David. Um, that uh, he actually fulfilled 
the Passover uh, rehearsal where it didn't have to be rehearsed anymore because he was the fulfillment of that. Okay. Okay. I spoke to you a minute ago about um, how Yahweh told uh, Moses to tell the Israelites that they were to um, not sacrifice the Passover lamb inside their own city gates, but what they were to go up to a place where he would put his name. Well, he actually put his name on the mountain of Moriah or Moriah in Hebrew. Okay, I'm going to explain this to you. If you were to fly over Mount Moriah or go up in a balloon, somehow look down from the sky from Mount Moriah, you would see three valleys that run into each other. There's a valley on the left of the temple, um, a couple of valleys on the left of the temple mount, and then what used to be the temple mount, and then one on the right. What happens is these three valleys run together. And if, let's say, the only way that I can explain it is if you were looking down from a plane, on the left-hand side, the very left-hand side, you'd see the valley of Hinnon. That's the left-hand valley. In the middle part of the mountain, there's what's known as the... Uh, Cheesemaker Valley or the Tyropian Valley, I think is how you pronounce it. And then um, on the right-hand side of the mountain, there's the Kidron Valley. So what happens is all these valleys, their indentations, um, if you were to look for, from the sky, they're, they're deep indentations in the mountain that are actually valleys that form the shape of a lopsided W, if you're looking at it, it would look like a, it would be lopsided going towards the left. Well, what that is, <clears throat> excuse me, is that those three valleys form the shape of a sheen. A sheen is actually one letter in the Hebrew language that can represent the name of Yahweh. Okay. So on the, on the mountain where God told the people to go and rehearse um, every year until the actual sacrifice did show up. His name is actually indented in the mountaintop, and it, it's indented with valleys, with three valleys that actually run together in, and form the shape of like a W, only it's a kind of a lopsided W. So if you were to look up the letter, the sheen in the Hebrew language, that's what it looks like from a plane or from, a, let's say, balloon. Um, from the sky. So his name is literally in that mountain. Okay. And that's the place where God put his name because the sheen, the letter sheen, it's just one letter. It can actually represent the name of God. Okay. So that's where the place, that's the place where God literally put his name. He engraved it in the top of that uh, mountain. Okay. I'm going to go on. Okay, so now I'm going to talk to you about practical application of the Word of God and repentance. And um, if you haven't listened to Lesson 6, you need to go back and listen to Lesson 6, because I'm going to go um, a little bit further from Lesson 6, which was about the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. It's a really good episode, actually. It explains in great detail what happened when Christ fulfilled that Passover. But I'm going to read from the book of Hebrews, um, Hebrews 10. And I'm going to explain some things because there's a teaching out there that is what I call sloppy grace. And it has to do with um, people teaching that Christ 
um, his death on the cross, it actually cleansed our sins once and for all, and everything's all good and done, said, said good and done. And um, we're just, we, you know, basically we're just um, squatters waiting for him to come back, basically. And that's not accurate. And um, if that were accurate, there would be um, great detail in the Bible about that. And there's more detail about repentance than there is about just waiting to be, you know, taken off this earth. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read from the book of Hebrews in the modern English version. And I'm going to read um, chapter 10 in the book of Hebrews. I think it's the whole chapter. I'm not quite sure because I'm online right now and I'm going to read it from the modern English version. Okay. And if you haven't uh, listened to episode um, six, then you're going to miss out a lot on a lot of the understanding of what I'm trying to get to here. Okay. So Hebrews says, 10 says, for the law Okay, this was the law that was given to Moses. For the law is a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of those things. It could never, by the same sacrifice, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year after year, perfect those who draw near. Okay, so it's saying the law could never um, perfect anybody. Okay, through their through those sacrifices. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, once purified, would no longer be conscious of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is an annual reminder of sin, for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have no pleasure. Then I said, See, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the volume of a book. Okay, so that's um, basically Christ quoting uh, quoting something there. And it, then it says, it goes on to say, Previously when he said you did not desire sacrifices and offerings, you have had no pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, which are offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, see, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. Okay. And this is where I talked to you about old covenant and new covenant in lesson uh, five, I think. By this, we will have been, by this, will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So see, he was the fulfillment of all of the sacrifices that they rehearsed year after year in these different, excuse me, in these different um, festivals. They were rehearsal shows. And when he came as the Passover lamb, he actually fulfilled those rehearsal shows. Okay. It's like having a rehearsal wedding where you you rehearse it, but then there's a fulfillment of that. Well, it's the same way with what they were doing. They had rehearsed over and over and over for a thousand years from the time that things were established for a thousand years. And then Christ showed up and he was the fulfillment of that. Okay. Okay. It says, but every priest stands daily ministering and repetitively offering the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But this man, which was Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. 
Since that time, he has been waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one offering, he has forever perfected those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also witnesses to us about this. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, I will write them. And then he says, (coughs) excuse me. Their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there, there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Okay? So I want to stop right here. I, <clears throat> Excuse me, I left my water um, downstairs. I want to stop right here because there's a lot of confusion about, okay, n- now we're sinless. Now we're completely sinless. Well, if that were true, in the Bible where it talks about confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed, then why would we need to confess our sins one to another and pray for each other that we may be healed if if there's no such thing as repentance? If we're going by some adulterated truth that says, you know, we're clean before the Lord all of the time and, um, you know, we're good. We don't have to go to the Lord in repentance, okay? This is false teaching. And even if you go into, and I can prove it by going all the way into the book of Revelations, and in the book of the Revelations, Christ is talking to seven different churches. And to those seven different churches, um, he's talking to them, telling them before he comes back, basically, is they, they need to repent. He tells all of them basically to repent. Well, why would he tell them to repent if we don't have to repent? if it's all said and done and we don't have to repent. Okay. Now, remember when I was telling you um, in the last episode, things happened when Christ actually died on the cross. I said the ground, the earth shook, the rocks rent, um, the the graves broke open and people from the graves that were in the graves, some of the people that were in the graves came up out of their graves and walked around. There was one other thing that happened that I didn't share in the last episode because I wanted to share it in this episode was that when Christ died on the cross, um, the curtain that's in the temple. Now you have to understand how thick this curtain is. This is a, a, a huge curtain that separates the holy place from the holy of holies. And the holy of holies in the temple was where the high priest could only go in there once a year, once a year. And to do that, he had to take a pan of incense and and put put it before him. Like he'd walk in with a pan of incense that was smoking because um, the glory of the Lord would have blinded him. So, and he could only go in there once a year behind that curtain because that's where the presence of the Lord would be, would, would be on earth. Okay. And only the high priest could get to him once a year. Okay. So when Christ uh, died on the cross, it says that that curtain, that's a really, really thick curtain. I mean, it's not just, you know, a little bit of thickness. It was a huge, thick curtain. Okay. Um, it, it was torn from top to bottom when Christ died on the cross, which only God could have done that. There's no man that could have tore the curtain, this heavy, thick curtain from top to bottom. But when Christ died on the cross, um, 
that curtain was torn from top to bottom, okay? And the Bible says that represents the way into the um, most holy place was made open for us because before it was closed to us and and we could not um, come into the presence of the Most High. But because of what Christ did on the cross, that curtain tore from top to bottom and the symbolism of that was showing that now we had access to the Most High. Okay, now I'm going to go on. Okay, so in chapter 9, and this is the modern English version again, um, verse 13, it says, Under the old covenant, the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of of a heifer were sprinkled on those who were defiled and effectively cleansed them outwardly, you have to understand that, outwardly from their ceremonial impurities. Yet how much more will the sacred blood of the Messiah thoroughly cleanse our consciences? So the old covenant couldn't do anything with our conscience. It just cleansed people from, um, it made them ceremonial, ceremonially clean, basically. But it never did anything um, concerning the inward man. Let's put it like that. Concerning your inward conscience, concerning uh, matters of the heart. It never cleansed you from things like that. And Christ's blood actually does that. His sacrifice on the cross actually does that. Because... I kind of shared this with you in another episode, but here's the deal. God, Yahweh, is a holy and righteous and pure entity, okay? There is no darkness or shadow of turning in him. You know, in heaven, people that have actually had death experiences and have gone to heaven say say that there's no shadows in heaven because there is no shadow of turning because God is light, okay? So there's actually no shadows in, in the heavenly realm which I find, you know, pretty amazing. But for us to draw nigh to him, close to him, and we have darkness in us, it separates us from him, okay? And so what he did with the new covenant, um, the old covenant pronounced us guilty, and it only gave us um, uh, cleansing from um, outward things, but nothing that had to do with the conscience or the heart, the conscience or the heart. So this covenant cleanses our conscience from guilt, okay? It's, it literally cleanses us. So what happened is with Christ's new covenant, he made a new and living way for us to approach God. And that's why the curtain was rent. It showed that the way to get to God was made open, okay, to all mankind, not just to one priest that could reach, go in behind the curtain and... um be in his presence once a year, okay? This curtain, the curtain being rent, um, showed, remember everything is a rehearsal or a picture show, it shows that the way, that the access to the holiest of all was made open to all mankind, okay? So um, I'm going to go on. I'm going to re uh, reread this. Under the old covenant, the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer were sprinkled on those who were defiled and effectively cleansed them outwardly from their ceremonial impurities. Yet how much more will the sacred blood of the Messiah thoroughly cleanse our consciences? For by the power of the eternal spirit, he has offered himself to God as the perfect sacrifice that now frees us from our dead works to worship and serve the living God. 
So Jesus is the one who has enacted the new covenant with a new relationship with God so that those who accept the invitation will receive the internal the eternal inheritance he has promised to his heirs. For he died to release us from the guilt, which has to do with the conscience, of the violations committed under the first covenant. Okay? So um, I'm going to go on. So I'm going to talk to you about practical application. And I think this is, I, th- I, I believe this is one of the main reasons that there's so many screwed up church people, so many screwed up believers in our world today, because they're being taught wrong. They're being taught a um, sloppy grace, uh, adulterated truth that isn't truth at all. And he made what he did through his um, dying on the cross is he made he made a new and living way to get to the Father. And um, we have to we have to uh, practice practical application of that. So when we know that we have we are an heir, we have to go before the Father. He made that way for us. So it's not this huge thing on the temple with the priests and only once a year can they do this. He made it so each and every one of us can go before him at any time. Because what we do is now we go before him as if we're going into the holiest of holies and we ask him to cleanse us of our unrighteousness through the blood of Christ. Okay? We, we by faith, use the blood of Christ to cleanse us of our sin. Okay? We call upon the blood of Christ because the blood of Christ is living. It's a now thing. And, and we ask forgiveness of uh, our sin, and we ask the blood of Christ to cleanse us of our sins. And we thank the Father for the, for the Son, and we thank Him for cleansing us of, of all unrighteousness because He says, um, confess your sins. If you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Okay? <coughs> Excuse me. So the practical application in all of this is confession, is going before the Father, going into the holiest of all places, going before the Father because He made the way and asking him to forgive you of our sins and cleanse us of unrighteousness through the blood of Christ and and receiving that by faith. Just like you received Christ by faith, you receive him cleansing you by faith also because that blood has been made available. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons the church is completely screwed up, like much of the church is completely screwed up on earth today, is because nobody confesses sin before the Father anymore. And because they are not taught to, they're taught that they're free from sin, that they've been, that they've, sin has been obliterated because of what Christ did on the cross, which is true, but you still have to apply the blood. You still have to apply the blood of Christ in your life. Just like if it was true that everything's done, said and done, then why are people still sick? Why do we still need to lay hands on people? Why do we still need to cast out demons? Because we have to use practical applications of of the finished works of the cross. We apply what he did, what he finished on the cross. We apply it. We apply the blood each and every time. We, We ask for healing because of what he did on the cross. But it's not that the world is perfect and 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 not sick. There's many people sick right now and dying. And we have to use practical application of the finished works of the cross. We still have to do our part until he comes. 
Okay. And part of that, and to walk in the power of God, we have to go before the Lord and confess our sins. And when we do, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's what his word says. And if we were never supposed to repent again after, you know, he died on the cross, he would have never told those seven churches in the book of Revelations that, you know, before he comes, because he's coming quickly, that they needed to repent. So repentance is part of a Christian's walk. I, I mean, we all screw up, but he made a way each and every time for us to go before him and be cleansed of our unrighteousness. That way we can stand before him and we can walk in the power of God. Because when there's darkness in us, it separates us in different measures from him, which keeps us from walking in the power of God. It's, it's, it's that simple. He made a new and living way to get to him. And that's why that curtain was rent, because it made it showed that the way to the holiest of holies was open to all of us. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to stop right here. Um, I was going to actually share more, but I think I'm going to stop right here because I wanted to get the point across of practical application and repentance. Um, there's nowhere where it talks about don't repent. There's all sorts of places where it talks about repentance. Repent, you know, when you're with your, you know, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. Um, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You know, he told the churches in, in uh, the book of Revelations to repent. So that is practical application in the here and now. We have to walk in that. And if we don't walk in that, don't expect to walk in the power of God if you don't understand repentance. And see, the enemy knows that. And that's why that false teaching of sloppy grace is out there. Because the enemy knows <laughs> that um, if you don't repent, you can't walk um, in the true power and glory of God. Seriously. And it's there for all of us. And, and it's easy access. We have easy access to the Most High. We just have to go before him and confess and and throw our hearts before him and ask him to wash us and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. It's a new and living way. It's the new covenant. And it's based upon better promises. Anyhow, I'm going to stop right there. And um, I thank you for joining me here. And I hope you learned a little bit today. And I hope that you join me again um, for the next episode. I think I might be doing them every two weeks instead of every week, um, just because of the summertime and how much stuff I have to get done around here during the summertime. Anyhow, thank you for listening today and God bless.